Everybody sees that. It's important. Um, I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited about today's message. <clears throat> it's, one of the, it's one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. Not absolute favorite, but certainly one of my favorite stories in the Gospel. Um, can you believe we're on week 50 of the Gospel of Mark? We're just going to keep going, no matter how many it is. But <clears throat> I will tell you this. This is, this is another big transition phase <clears throat> Excuse me. in the Gospel of Mark. Next week, we start Holy Week. And we are going to explore details and depths of Holy Week that you've probably never experienced before. We're going to take our time and go through it. We're probably going to be teaching on Holy Week for two months. It's just going to be unbelievable stuff. It's going to be a very important time for our church. So just let you guys know that at home and here. Uh, also, before we get started, we are going to be able, you'll have more information probably coming in your inbox sometime this week. We're going to be able to meet together and worship again very soon. Uh, there's some information coming soon. We're working on some final details, but this, there's light at the end of the tunnel now, and we're going to be able to come together as a church family again very soon, and I just can't tell you how excited I am about that. We need it, don't we? We need to be back together worshiping. Okay, let's go on with the Gospel of Mark. Week number 50. Um, make sure you bring the mouse over and make sure that's, that's working on that screen. I don't have control yet. There we go. I've called this message Beautiful Desperation. So, have you personally ever felt desperation? <clears throat> and if you did, to what level did your desperation go? Say on a scale of 1 to 10, <clears throat> how desperate did you feel? And, and what was the nature of it? What was, what was driving your experience or your emotion of desperation? Was it relationship-driven? Was it emotional Maybe it was life-threatening sort of desperation. Maybe it was a financial situation that was causing desperation. <clears throat> what we see, humanly speaking, is that desperation is the emotional result when we realize we have lost all control of our circumstances. And there's a real possibility that defeat is looming just around the corner. Now, from an earthly excuse me, perspective, desperation means impending hopelessness, calamity, and helplessness. So when we face earthly desperation, what we're realizing is, I'm either hopeless or a miracle is going to take place and I'm not going to have to go through this pain. It often comes after life on earth has dealt us some sort of terrible blow, a loss, <clears throat> a circumstance, Something that, that has happened either maybe as a result of something we've done or maybe not. But the bottom line is we are in a circumstance that is beyond our human limits and beyond our human control. That is the nature of earthly desperation. And humanly speaking, of course, desperation from an earthly perspective is not an envious place. Boy, I can't wait to be earthly desperate again, right? You never hear somebody say that. How you doing? Fine, but I really could use some desperation in my life. It's not an envious thing. Most people never want to feel desperate because it's very scary. That's why desperation is undesirable. It's ugly. It's unsavory. It's embarrassing. And you can understand why people avoid it or deny it. But there is a moment when desperation becomes beautiful and attractive when it drives us to cry out 
to Jesus. See, the unbelieving world will never understand this type of beautiful desperation. It makes no sense. It's foolishness. It's ridiculous. But as children of God, beautiful desperation is seen as a precious gift. That moment that desperation provides liberation, salvation, healing, and new purpose for living. With that in mind, let's look at our passage, Mark chapter 10, 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting on the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now many rebuked him, telling him, be silent. But when they did that, he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up, a blind man. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Does that question sound familiar if you heard... Last week's message? Isn't that fascinating? And Bartimaeus, the blind man, said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, Jesus, on the way. Let's look at the historical part of this passage. I want to talk about blind Bartimaeus. Understand, there, this, this situation, this story, understand the, the, the um, <clears throat> significance of it. This is the last miracle, at least the last positive miracle, that Jesus performs before the resurrection. He's had this very short ministry in Perea. He's crossed over the Jordan River to pass through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. And there are huge crowds that are following. It's spring which means the roads are packed with people who are making their way to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, Jesus has performed healings. He's cast out evil. He's resurrected the dead just a couple of days earlier with Lazarus. It's not in the Gospel of Mark, but we know that took place. He's controlled the weather. He's fed thousands with a few morsels of food. Jesus has done plenty to display his power, right? He doesn't need to prove himself. But being the servant that he is, one who loves his sheep, he does one final miracle before the ultimate miracle of the resurrection. Think about it. From the very first miracle of turning water into wine in northern Galilee, ending up with this one in southern Galilee, the whole region has been blanketed with compassionate displays of humble servanthood mixed with grace and power, and miracles. And this is the last one of all of them before the resurrection. Yes, later on he, he curses a fig tree, but that's not a positive miracle, right? That's a, that's, a, that's a negative miracle. This is the last benevolent miracle, if you will. Let's talk about Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is blind and hopeless. This healing for a blind man named Bartimaeus, who is a beggar, it is significant because he is not just a blind man, He is named. See, people were named in 
first century writings for really one reason, because the readers would recognize them. They'd be able to connect the dots. Oh, that's this guy. So the reason that Mark, the evangelist, names Bartimaeus is because apparently it is speculated that Bartimaeus was a very prominent believer in the first century church. People that learned who he was. Remember, Mark was the first gospel written, but it's not written for several years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. And apparently Bartimaeus was a well-known person. So the reason he is named is because the readers would say, oh, this is a story of our brother. So you understand. So they, they would have a little bit of a connection. He's sitting on the roadside. It's a very busy roadside, right? He's asking for money, begging and blind. Begging is the only profession that he can have. Because blindness, remember this, historically, blindness was considered judgment for sinfulness. Blindness was punishment from God. So this man is not only seen as pitiful, but sinful. The blind suffer physically, of course, because this is, this is the ancient world. There's no Braille. There's no programs for disabled people. He is an outcast physically and culturally, but he's also an outcast spiritually. It is a sad state of affairs. He is at the bottom of the barrel. And every day, he is forced to beg just to get his daily needs met. But on this day, he hears an unusual commotion. And, and we see this kind of laid out in some of the other Gospels, that he hears something different than the regular crowd. And he asks, what's happening? And someone tells him, oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth and his disciples. He'd heard of Jesus. He knows the stories. And now he sees an incredibly narrow window of opportunity never available to him before. Jesus is coming. And this blind man relentlessly cries out, not for healing at first. What does he say? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See, that is what desperation does. At least beautiful desperation. It will make you highly motivated to cry out to Jesus for help. But I want you to see what happens. Everyone else except for Bartimaeus is embarrassed by his desperation. Look at this Greek word. Here's the Greek word, krazo. Here's what the word means. And this is a very descriptive, beautiful picture of what is happening. It means to call aloud with a shriek, with a cry of a raven. Doesn't that sound pleasant? So he's crying out in a way that's loud and shrieking. You know, it's like a, like a blood-curdling scream. Like you've heard sometimes like a, a little girl will scream out. It just pierces your ears like, quiet, stop. That's what's happening here. He's screaming out with a shriek like a raven. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Dude, calm down. Quiet. Not only is it annoying... It's very loud and obnoxious. It's a word used to indicate full terror or full desperation. Matter of fact, it is the same word that Mark used to describe how the demons cried out in fear when Jesus and the disciples were there and Jesus was about to cast them out of the swine. So you understand what kind of word this is. This isn't, you know, a nice, pleasant yell. This is a shriek. 
The disciples and other people that are on the road are annoyed by this loud, shrieking, annoying, desperate blind man. It's ridiculous. See, Bartimaeus' desperation made everyone else uncomfortable. It's embarrassing, it's annoying, and they just want Bartimaeus to stop. And what's his response to their peer pressure? He shrieks even louder. He cries out even louder, harsher, shrieker. I know that's not a word, but I wanted to put it out there for you. He cries out shrieker, crying for mercy. Why? Because Bartimaeus is beautifully desperate. He has the gift of faith and knows Jesus is his only hope. He doesn't care what they think. His faith and desperation have created an unquenchable thirst to connect with Jesus at this place, at this moment, at this time. A desire so strong, no peer pressure, no cultural norm are going to be powerful enough to shut up his shrieking voice and hinder his intention to meet Jesus. So that's the historical part of the passage. Look at the spiritual. What about God or Jesus? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I want to talk about how Jesus heals Bartimaeus. I want to pinpoint this part that I pointed out earlier. What can I do for you? So when Jesus hears the cries, he ignores the concerns of the well-mannered, well-behaved, non-desperate crowd, the self-reliant group that's around him, and he commands Bartimaeus to be brought to him. Bartimaeus is told, listen, Jesus wants to see you. Now get this picture. The scripture says this blind man springs up, leaves his cloak on the ground. He can't see people. And he springs up. This is absolutely amazing faith. Now watch this. Watch carefully. Are you ready? Jesus asked Bartimaeus the same exact question he just asked James and John in the passage before. What do you want me to do for you? It is exact word for word the same question. That is not random. That is a specific thing I want you to hone in on. And the two answers, of course, as we know, right? They could not be more different. James and John come to Jesus with a request that had no, no desperation. All it had was ambition. They wanted to be first in the kingdom of heaven. They were looking for personal prestige and privilege. And Jesus says, well, I got news for you. You're going to get the opposite. You're going to get my cup and my baptism. Remember we defined what that was for you last week? Suffering and calamity. Yeah, you think you want prestige, but what you're going to get is suffering and calamity. See, they weren't desperate yet. Oh, but soon you will be. But Bartimaeus is desperate now. He's a blind man. Prestige and privilege mean nothing to him if he can't see. He just wants Jesus to make him whole. You see, James and John had no desperation, but Bartimaeus had the gift of beautiful desperation. And notice, this is actually, you would think this is not another sermon about the last becoming first and the first last, but in actuality, it is exactly that. It is a continuation of last week's message and the one before that and the one before that and the one before that. It's all the same theme. The last made first. What does Jesus do? In front of the crowd, he elevates this rude, obnoxious, shrieking blind man above everyone else there. He makes this man, Bartimaeus, the most important person in the crowd at that moment. 
even as everyone else wanted him to shut up, to not be seen, to keep him relegated to being just a bystander, Jesus elevates him. Do you see the difference here? Can you see how Bartimaeus' desperation is the antithesis of last week's story about James and John? It's a great illustration, is it not, of what Jesus has been teaching them for several chapters about how the first will be last and the last will be first. James and John, you want glory, prestige to be first in the kingdom? I can't give you that. That's my father's to give. But Bartimaeus, you want mercy? You want healing? You want to be made whole? You want to be able to see? That, my dear child, that I can do. I can do that all day long. Come here, Bartimaeus. Come right next to me and receive your mercy. And I love how this story ends. He goes from desperate to faithful. So Jesus heals him, right? Jesus says, because of your faith, you're made whole. You may now go on your way. What does Bartimaeus do? Does he try to go get his life together? Start making a list of all the things he couldn't do when he was blind? Catch up on all he's missed out of in life? He has a chance to cash in for himself. Make a better life. But instead, what does he do? He doesn't go his own way. He chooses to follow Jesus. He doesn't go his own way. In choosing to follow Jesus, he becomes a faithful disciple committed to Christ. Remember back earlier, I told you that it's pretty evident that Bartimaeus was a well-known first-century church disciple, that many knew his name. Jesus takes him from blind, desperate beggar to a well-known, faithful, relentless follower in this moment of beautiful desperation. His beautiful desperation carried him from far beyond any type of earthly healing. And now he has been healed. His heart has been transformed. He is a child of God. He now has eternal life and an eternal kingdom purpose that dominates his decisions from this day forward. It is such a precious, stunning, victorious moment for this man, isn't it? So now let's look at the personal section. What about us? What do we do? What are we supposed to do with this story? What do you want from Jesus? Here's the Sunday sermon preview from this week. We won't experience the full joy of following Jesus until we have experienced the full beauty of desperation. You see how beautiful desperation liberated Bartimaeus to answer Jesus' question the right way? James and John, motivated by ambition, personal gain, asked the wrong question. But Bartimaeus' motivation enables him to ask the correct question. So question, do you think that Bartimaeus would have cried out had he had, let's say, 20-40 vision? Bartimaeus, what do you want, to do for, what do you want me to do for you? Well, I'm 20-40, I would really like 20-20. I'm going to tell you, sadly, in my opinion, I think many of us Christians have very little desperation in our lives. As a matter of fact, some of us have so little desperation, we can't even make sure we spend time with God's people on a consistent basis. Now, with that being said, I want to outline, there are times when desperation is very problematic. I don't want to glorify it and say it's always great. 
Desperation isn't always beautiful. Sometimes it just manifests itself as part of our depravity. Sometimes we will hide our desperation. We have too much pride, too much arrogance to acknowledge that we are desperate. We don't want people to see us desperate. We don't want desperation to make us appear vulnerable. We don't want it to make us appear weak. Whether it's a medical diagnosis, a financial hardship, family dysfunction, fear of consequences, struggles with anxiety, we want to try to mask that desperation as personal strength. We conceal it in many areas like these. We don't want to be seen as struggling, imperfect, or flawed. But here's the problem. Denying our desperation is very problematic because it makes it just like, makes us just like those who were embarrassed by Bartimaeus. And it makes us just like James and John. If we are embarrassed by our own desperation, we will do whatever we can to conceal it, to deny it. As a result, we never get any of the spiritual benefits of being desperate. We just get all the negatives. We never cry out for mercy. But there are also times we can also abuse desperation, at least the appearance of it, for selfish gain, right? Sometimes we can use a show of desperation to manipulate people into giving us what we want by putting on a show to invoke sympathy. We play the role of victim for personal gain, using desperation as a tool or a weapon. That's not beautiful, is it? That's arrogant self-service. We really aren't desperate for Jesus. What we're really doing is feeling entitled, and we want people to know why. So that's a few examples when desperation can be very problematic. But I want to talk more about the fun part when desperation is beautiful. So what could possibly make it beautiful? How could desperation ever be a blessing? I'm going to put a couple pictures up for you. See these pictures? The guy is drowning and he's crying out for help with his hands. See this one here? He's in despair and he's, it looks like he's praying. He's reaching out his hands. Jesus, have mercy on me. These pictures right here, I want you to understand why I put them up. Because they're incredibly attractive to Jesus. That's what makes desperation beautiful when Jesus loves it. See, beautiful desperation will drive us to Jesus, our only hope, just like it did for Bartimaeus. Beautiful desperation will force you to relentlessly cry out for his mercy, regardless of what other people may see or think. I mean, think about the joy you feel when desperation finally meets grace and mercy through meeting with Jesus. So how do you get to the point of beautiful desperation? How is it that we can finally comprehend our desperate spiritual condition? See, beautiful desperation is actually, at its core, the moment that we recognize we're blind. The moment we recognize we need Jesus to help us see, just like Bartimaeus did. So how do we know we've reached that moment? Pastor Joe, I love beautiful desperation. How do I know I have the good kind and not the bad kind? Have mercy on me. 
See, beautiful desperation will always produce the beautiful shrieking cry of Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See, God has always actually preferred beautiful, desperate, shrieking hearts over religious accomplishment. Did you know that? I love what David, who, by the way, was the epitome of desperation when he recognized his depravity with Bathsheba and her husband, who he murdered Uriah, didn't he? Psalm 51, 16 and 17. Here's what David says, because he recognized it. For you will not delight in religion or sacrifice, or else I'd do that, I'd give it. You will, be pleased with a burnt, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite, or another word for contrite, a synonym is desperate heart. Oh God, these you will not despise. When he says he will not despise, you will not hate, in Hebrew poetry that means the exact opposite. Not only will you not despise, you will absolutely love. So understand that's a Hebrew poetry construction. Those things you won't hate. It doesn't mean like he's neutral. When he says you will not hate, it means he will adore. See, before this sermon, perhaps if Jesus came to you and said, hey, what can I do for you? Mercy may not have been your first thought. You know what, Jesus would really be great. See, without Christ for mercy, it's an indication we haven't embraced the power of beautiful desperation. We must learn to stop running from beautiful desperation and embrace it as part of the gift of faith. As a pastor, I will tell you, I hear lots of stories about how God blesses his people. I've heard people say, I was blessed with this new job. I was blessed with this incredible relationship. I've been blessed to have my business be successful. I got a good grade on this test, or my sports team that I'm a part of won this, or my kid's doing great, or... Uh, I hear a lot of stories about God blessing his children. And I'm not, understand, I'm not discounting them because those are blessings, but I'm just being real with you. Those stories rarely inspire me. I'm not inspired by when people tell me something went great. I mean, I'm glad. Don't, don't, don't take this the wrong I'm glad. Maybe sometimes I'm a little jealous. I'm just being honest. But I'm not inspired by it. The inspirational ones, for me, always start with someone embracing beautiful desperation. Those are the ones I adore. Make your story sound like Bartimaeus. Well, Pastor Joe, how? I want you to be sure your interaction with Jesus sounds like this. And I just, I just kind of wrote this out. I, caught, I tried to take the story and boil it down, and, and now that I've given you the images of what blindness means and what desperation means and the gift of faith, see if, see if this narrative, this little paragraph that I wrote makes sense. Here's what beautiful desperation will look like in your life. I was a blind, homeless outcast, hopeless and desperate. But then I heard Jesus approaching, and I cried out for his mercy. Many were turned off by my shrieking. I didn't care. My beautiful desperation liberated me to cry out even louder. And then he called for me. 
He healed me. He changed me. And I have never been the same since. Now I will follow and serve him just as relentlessly as I cried out for his mercy and his healing. Don't you want a story like that? I mean, which is better? That story or, man, God gave me a really great job. So instead of praying for success or happiness, perhaps we should take some time as a church individually over the next week to make our prayers sound something a little bit like this. As I sit here today in my blindness, regardless of what others may think, I am desperately crying out to you, Jesus, for mercy. Because I know you are the only way I will receive the healing I so desperately need. Heavenly Dad, we don't want problematic desperation. That's just a headache. (laughs) But because we are children of God, you have given us the gift, no matter what our circumstances, of beautiful desperation. God, I pray that you would help us get to the point that we can embrace beautiful desperation even when from the world's perspective things are going well. Lord, we would love to live in the reality of beautiful desperation moment by moment, day by day. Lord, we know that when we shriek for mercy, it's music to your ears. Lord, I pray that you would help us to embrace just like Bartimaeus did, all the benefits of beautiful desperation. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that just a great story? I'm going to tell you guys, this is going to start getting really intense over the next few weeks as we look at Holy Week, starting with the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, all the imagery, the prophecy, and all those things. The Gospel of Mark is about to get You think it was intense before? It's about to get real intense. I'm a little nervous, but I'm also excited. We love you guys. We miss you. You'll be hearing soon about getting back together as a church. There's serious light at the end of the tunnel in the very near future. We pray for you weekly. If you need anything, please let us know we got your back. Have a great week.